everyone. Welcome to Central American Voices Podcast. I'm your host, Alejandra Quiroz. Gracias por sintonizarnos una vez más. So today we are with Sarai Benita. She, her, hers pronounced, is a senior at California State University in Northridge, pursuing a career in music therapy to get back to her community in Los Angeles, California, through all the power of music. So Thank you so much, Sarai. Thank you for being with us today. It's really amazing to have you here on the show. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you. So um, I always like to start a little bit with the question, like, how was your experience growing up as a Central American? Uh, you grew up here in L.A., so how was your experience? Yeah, so I grew up in Pico Union, which, as most of us know, is like the hub for all of the Salvadoran immigrants who came during the Civil War. So I grew up with um, three siblings, my parents, and then we lived in a duplex house. So I had my tia downstairs and I had my cousins in the back house. So I grew up in a really big, really big family. And it's really funny because often people would tell me like, oh, that sounds really bothersome or like, that sounds really hard to have so many people, but that's mm -hmm. how I like grew up. I got used to it and I really loved it. Um, for me, understanding and like knowing about my heritage wasn't something emphasized growing up mm -hmm. just because my parents, like after immigrating during the Civil War, were more concerned with us adapting. So okay. we weren't really pressured into learning Spanish or really pressured about learning about our culture. So there were actually moments throughout my life in like elementary school and middle school where I would often get asked like, oh, what kind of Hispanic are you? Or what kind of Latina are you? And in elementary school, since everyone else was Mexican, I just assumed mm -hmm. like, oh, I guess I'm also Mexican. And that's when my parents had to have a whole conversation with me. And they're like, okay, here's the rundown. Like there's other countries too. <laughs> um, and Honestly, like being Central American, being salty is kind of hard in LA because although we have like a big community there, I feel like we're always going to be casted over because research and just information mm -hmm. about Latin America is very Mexican centric. Mm -hmm. So it was something I never felt I could truly understand or express until I got to CSUN which mm -hmm. we're really lucky to have one of the only Central American Studies program. And I got to take a Central American class about the history of Central America. And again, my parents really didn't talk about their childhood. Um, both of my parents lost their dads when they were just teenagers and they came when they were teenagers. Um, my mom came and became a housemaid in Beverly Hills and she still does that. And my dad became he did some odd jobs and then he's now doing construction, but it was mm -hmm. never something I could talk about. Also being one of the younger siblings. Um, so taking that Central American class, like was a roller coaster of emotions. Cause like I learned about the civil war. I learned about the hardships and the oppressions that um, native American folks felt and Afro Latinos. And it just became a, urge of wanting to know more but also feeling like I could kind of understand who I was because mm -hmm. again I'd be faced with that question of like what kind of Hispanic are you or what kind of Latina are you mm -hmm. and it was always something where I'd be like I'm Salvadorian but like I don't feel 
Salvadorian. Mm -hmm. Like growing up, you know, you have a very big mix of cultures in El Salvador. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'd meet people who were Salvadorian and they would express it a lot more than I can. So I never truly felt like that. And growing up, I'd often get called like whitewashed. And it was mm. just such a confusing thing. But I think now in my final year at CSUN, I've truly found how to identify with my ethnicity. And I feel really proud and really like motivated to learn more about it. And that's how I came upon this um, research project that I did mm -hmm. for my psychology of music class, focusing on the physiological um, benefits of music therapy mm -hmm. with the Salvadorian diaspora. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I mean, we both, I mean, I live here in LA, so I kind of understand a little bit of your experience. And it's true when you share about like coming to season, how like, in a sense, it's a more welcoming, like, place for Central Americans because mm -hmm. as you mentioned it is one of the only Central Americans uh, departments that is in the United States so mm -hmm. I'm glad that you were able to take those classes do you take the Salvadorian experience one or just the introductions to I Central haven't America? taken that one yet that's going to be next semester but I took the intro to Central American okay my program has a lot of classes so there's very mm -hmm. limited classes of how I can do my GEs but I've been okay. trying and I was involved with GAUSA which is the Central okay. American United Student Association at mm -hmm. CSUN yeah I'm glad uh, who was your professor at the at the Central American uh, it was Freya? I don't even remember his name but oh. he was a part-timer Okay, okay. I thought it was Freya because my introduction to Central American was with Freya. Yeah, okay. I'm glad. I'm so happy that, you know, um, and I feel like it's important as well you shared that, um, you know, it's not that you weren't um, as connected at the beginning. It's just that I am something. It's just that your parents, after moving here, the assimilation and what, yeah. you know, trauma that carries through, like, not yeah. only migration, but war, like, they yeah. don't, sometimes our parents doesn't want to transmit that to us and doesn't want us to, to question that because it will reveal, like, you know like memories yeah, yeah. right so I feel like that's why and a lot of, like we see this like kind of pattern in like in our mm -hmm. community where like we just or elders or like family members or like parents and like grandparents they just hold that to uh -huh. them because they don't they don't want to no, harm us yeah okay yeah. they don't want to harm us they don't want us to think like oh my god you went through that you know and also for uh -huh. them because it was painful right yeah and then, so then you, you go into, you know, LA, which is very Mexican centered. And then uh -huh. all you can think is, well, I'm Mexican, you know, uh -huh. and that's the label everybody puts here. Yeah. And, you know, and then you go to college and you're like, oh, wait, you know, after your parents told you, I am actually Salvadorian, you go to college, yeah. but then you have also people from the Central American, you're like telling you why watch, like, you know, it's, uh -huh. I feel like that the, what's it called? the language around like identity sometimes uh -huh. we need to be mindful because calling someone whitewash like it's like really like it's what harmful. would you yeah because i i have here like people call it like no like people use the no sabo kid or like mm -hmm. 
you know, there, there's that term like, oh, this is no advocate or something like that. Yeah. Or whitewash, right? There's those terms and those are so harmful because sometimes we don't understand that the background of someone that it can be, you know, well, well I'm not as close to my identity, not because I don't mm-hmm. want it, it's because there's a, you know, there's a wall, Barrier. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That my parents wanted to protect me because of trauma, because of their experiences and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, and it's not that you don't want to, right? Yeah. It's just that yeah. is how like like has been. And yeah. now growing up, and I feel like it's experienced a lot for others too. That um, it's especially college when they go to college and then they're like, oh, you know, I feel like a little butterfly, like. Eh. Uh-huh. <laughs> like okay, you know like now i can do my research it's like wow this is who i am and now you are the one like searching for your identity yeah. searching for who you are searching for how to identify because i'm sure you never felt mexican right like you no. never identified with that but or like even with the salvadoran you feel like a disconnect and now that you're older uh-huh. i feel like it's just and it is that's that's normal i feel like now especially with the diaspora the first generation they yeah. all we all go through that system yeah um and it's kind of hard though like i don't know like that's how i feel right i i'm an immigrant and i feel like i came here i already knew i was hundred growing up like everybody questioning where i was you know uh-huh. and then until I got to season, I was like, oh, my God, I can finally see it openly. Hell yeah, I'm enduring. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just, I feel like the, how society, how the system, a little bit of how the life here in L.A. is, it's just that it kind of puts you in this little box that you sometimes question who you are for longest. And yeah. sometimes it's not, like I, like I said, it's not because you don't want to. It's just because uh-huh. people will put these labels, labels on you without yeah. considering you know things. so to everyone be careful with the names that they put or you know at <laughs> labels that you're the telling labels. everybody yes yeah. también que, like i think our parents coming from countries with war trauma they were mm-hmm. never allowed to truly express themselves beyond the point of survival yeah that once we get to this country like my parents have always taught me and my siblings like don't cause any trouble, like be quiet if you see something, like don't even get involved because that's how they were able to survive during war. Mm-hmm. So needing to go through like middle school and high school, like it was me trying to understand like, hey, this isn't okay. Like this mm-hmm. is something that worked for them, but I'm in a different space and a different experience and I don't have to be so limited by my fears and by my traumas and it's just like mm-hmm. learning how to go into myself because we're all carrying these like generational traumas and yeah. it's something that to this day like I feel like I'm filled with so much stress and anxiety and fear and mm-hmm. it's something that I see in my parents and like growing mm-hmm. up now I've been able to have those conversations with them and like actually mm-hmm. open up and it's it's terrifying to see my parents like be vulnerable, but it's something mm-hmm. that they've never had the chance to. Mm-hmm. And although they may think we're being annoying, me and my siblings, it's something that they need to express mm-hmm. and something they need to talk about. And I'm grateful to say that I've had the chance to like, you know, hear stories 
that babe experience or like you know cry with my mom and just express our like sadness of everything that's happened and I think coming to CSUN was such a blessing but also it felt like I was given such a heavy task because I got to this point like after there was a unit on the civil war in El Salvador Mm -hmm. and we saw a movie a documentary and I was in the back of the class crying my eyes out and I was like so confused because I was like oh this is what happened to my parents like they never talked about it but like this this hurts so I walked back home to the dorms and I called my mom crying and I was like mom like you never told me like I I feel so like incredibly like just so sad I'm filled with so much like despair and I feel like Mm -hmm. although like we're here in this country I still like feel like it's recent it's something Mm -hmm. new and something that I don't know how we can get past Mm -hmm. and my mom like bless her soul she made the two-hour drive from LA and she came up and we cried together and I had the chance to like talk with her and just ask her like how are you like Mm -hmm. even alive right now how are you going through day to day knowing that you went through so much and the fact that like she was the one that found her dad dead and she was the one that was closest with him and she was sent to this country because her mom was like like you can't work here if you're crying and to think like I'm over here like crying just because I just learned about this but like what kind of emotions is she feeling Mm -hmm. and like all of the struggles she went through coming to this country it just baffled me and you know there's some Mm -hmm. days where sometimes I just feel so defeated because I'm like hey like this is all happening like we live in this world Mm -hmm. I think remembering Mm -hmm. and like looking back on how our elders were able to get through this really inspires me and it goes beyond like the civil war we have Mm -hmm. so much pain and so much trauma in our countries that our ancestors have been fighting and they've been pushing to make sure that we can make it to this day so Mm -hmm. you know I feel like I have fire it's emotional, but I have fire to like push on and mm-hmm. give to the next generation. Yeah, definitely. I think it's very important what you just share because um like generational trauma is a very like real thing, right? I feel like yeah. sometimes we think, well, like es que le pasa fulanito, like it will not affect me. Well, like what happened to your great great grandma? Pass to your uh-huh. great grandma, then it passed to your grandma, then to your mom, uh-huh. then to you. You know, like it happened, and then you never put a stop on it, and you never, you know, like I said, you never ask those questions to make your parents. It's not for them to feel like, oh my god, like I don't want you to see me vulnerable, but it's needed because it's the only way the body can release the tension that you have been Mm -hmm. carrying it for so long you know and by talking and the communication with you know in the case with you your mom your dad and you know with your parents grandparents is when we understand how like aspects of our life why do we react to certain things like that why does my mom doesn't want to talk about this right like you share about something very personal that is you know your mom like, you know, the Civil War, finding, like, your grandpa dead. Mm-hmm. 
immediately like I, that is a tra- traumatic scene yeah that and that's I don't, just one yeah that's just one you know, thing yeah and that like it's so hard to get past that like if if you even put it in your perspective you know it's like whoa like i will never get that picture out of my head i will no. never you know and that same person had to make a whole trip to the united states mm-hmm. make a living but you know learn like the language. learn the language you know Face raise the their kids uh-huh. yeah you know labels stereotypes and everything that you know that individual that the age that your mom was at the end never healed from that picture Mm -hmm. because on top of that they were putting other things other things that it was never healed Uh right hey i know we don't like ads but before we continue with the episode i wanted to tell you that if you like our content it would mean a lot if you can leave us a review on apple Podcasts or follow us on spotify also don't forget to follow us on the rest of our social media platform and now let's continue with the episode so and that's kind of how I found music therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. About the healing. It kind of perfectly <laughs> led to it. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's not like mental you. health. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, no. I think mental health became a relevant thing in my life when I was in high school. I went through a bullying experience with um, people who I thought were my close friends. Mm-hmm. And it got me to a really low place in my life where I had gotten to the point where I needed like professional help. And, you know, in our culture, it's seen as like taboo to talk about your mental mm-hmm. health and it's taboo to express that you need help from outsiders. Mm-hmm. And I went through this journey with my mom where I kind of felt like our relationship like started over again. And I was mm-hmm. kind of forced to like, like reintroduce myself and like show her who I truly was emotionally, mm-hmm. what was happening with me. And I went through the experience of getting therapy for the first time. And I remember that first day that we went to therapy, my mom, we were in the car and she started crying and she said, I didn't realize I was such a bad parent. Like, I can't believe you can't mm-hmm. even talk to your mom about this stuff. And it was this realization, the first time seeing her cry was mm-hmm. understanding like, oh my God, like this isn't something only with me, but there's something within my family that's like mm-hmm. holding us all back. And seeing my mom feel like it was her fault is something constantly that I noticed with her. Like she always feels guilty for anything that goes wrong in our family. And mm-hmm. it became such a, such a relevant thing in my mind and understanding that there's these resources like therapy that could help just made me like want to go into that field. So um, I got all of that happened between 10th grade to 11th grade. And my sister, she also went to CSUN, um, she majored <laughs> in urban planning, and she went to study abroad in Brazil. And while living in Brazil, she met a girl at church who was studying to be a music therapist. So I had never heard of this before. Um, In my family, I'm very like big on performing arts. I first learned like about music when I was in elementary school. I was in choir, mariachi, orchestra. Um, When I was 10 years old, I got accepted to the Colvin School of Performing Arts, which is this really 
big deal in the performing arts program and I got a scholarship and I took drama lessons, I took voice lessons, violin lessons and all that stuff. And I had the chance to not only receive all the support, but also give back to the people and people in my own community by doing um, summer outreach programs. Mm-hmm. And through all of this and from having my sister tell me about music therapy, the moment she heard about it, she was like, this is for you. Like this has your name written all over it. I was like, mm, like, I don't know. Like, I've never heard of this. This is really new to me. Um, but getting to my senior year and being told like, oh, you got to choose now. Like you need to choose yeah. your career. You got to start thinking about that. Um, I did my research. I was like, okay, I could go for psychology. I really like psychology, but I've always have been a student who, yes, I get like A's and B's, but it's because I've worked really hard and mm-hmm. school has always been a really difficult thing for me. So I was really scared. Like, I don't know if I'd be able to academically hold up with this. And then while doing my research, um, my sister again brought up music therapy. So I was like, look into it like see if they have any schools here in California because obviously like I have three other siblings and my parents Mm -hmm. they both work every day but we're not able to afford as much as other people do we have a very low income so in my mind I was like okay I have to stay in California it'd be awesome if I could be commuting or if I could do something Mm -hmm. that's super close and I ended up figuring out that CSUN had one of two music therapy programs of California. Um, The other one's at a private school in Stockton, California called University of the Pacific. Mm. And my sister, um, she graduated from CSUN 2014 and then UCLA um, with a master's in urban planning Mm -hmm. in 2016. So Mm -hmm. she was helping me um, figure out the whole college thing. Mm-hmm. And shout out to older siblings because <laughs> I I don't think I could have done that. Like so much respect for my big sister, Diana. She's paved the way and she's done so much. And I just, I'm in awe every time <laughs> I talk about her or I hear new things she's doing. But she gave me the chance to actually explore both of the campuses. She mm. said like, hey, I'm going to take you on a trip. We're going to go to CSUN. It's really such FIFA, so it's not going to be like a day you don't have to like go and sleep over, but I'll even take you to Stockton so you can see, because I don't want you to feel like you have to limit yourself. Mm-hmm. I want you to be able to go to the place that you feel most connected. So mm-hmm. I had the chance to visit both campuses. And although I was really reluctant about CSUN just because like my sister went there in West, like it's a, it's a school that a lot of people go to and mm-hmm high school you're fed that like false lie that Cal States aren't as good as UCs so I was going Mm -hmm. in with that mindset like having a lot of judgment but after touring the campus meeting um, the music therapy department and getting to explore the music department I knew I had to go there I knew that was the only only choice for me and I even only applied to CSUN. That was the only school I applied to. Wow. Um, to enter a music department, you have to do an audition. 
So I auditioned on voice. Um, I was like really nervous because, you know, it's a it's a music school. That's a big deal. Not only do you mm-hmm. have to deal with like getting into the program that you have to do an interview for, but mm-hmm. you have to also test your skills of music. And they have you take like a musicianship test to see like you're going to listen to music. Let's see how well we can write it out. They give you tests about like the music theory and how well you are versed in that information. And yes, I have this background of music, but compared to my classmates from my music school, like they've all were given the ability to attend music school since they were little. They, some of them not only did like the music school on the side, but they had private teachers and they had the money and ability to do so much. So it was a big hurdle for me to jump and I really had to like push and practice and really show them like, Hey, I can do this. And for the music therapy program, you have to be able to play the piano and the guitar. Although I took guitar lessons at Culver and piano was new for me. So I had so much writing on this one thing, but I knew this is going to be the one thing. Like if this doesn't work out, I'll go to a community college, do a music program there pick up my like um, practices and really work so I could apply again. And I ended up getting into the program. First try, I passed the music audition and all that. And, you know, it was new for my parents because they're like, okay, we had your sister, Diana, who, you know, went to bachelor's. She did her master's and now she's doing like all these big things. We had your other sister, Carolina, go to trade school and now she's a baker. Mm. Now you want to go to music school. That's, (laughs) we're not for sure about that. And not only that, but you want to do something with mental health. That's not (laughs) a real thing to them. So Mm -hmm. it was a big jump for me, but with support from my sister and convincing of my parents, it became something that they were backing me up for, and they were really mm-hmm. excited. So I was one of two um, first-time freshmen who made it into that program that year. And usually wow. they have like 100 applications, and it's a really mm-hmm. small program of students who are either getting certificates, so they already have a bachelor's. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of transfer students who come from like community colleges or other schools and then first time freshmen. So <laughs> it was a big, big deal. And it was something I was incredibly proud about. Um, and it being at CSUN, I had the chance to take general education classes involving mm-hmm. anything I was interested in. So that's something I really liked about college instead of high school you don't have the basic like general classes everyone take like I yeah. take statistics or you take algebra but mm-hmm. in college you have the chance to take so many different types of classes to fulfill your um, requirements so my first year I had such a blast like having the chance to try all of these different classes in different fields um, but I don't think it was until my junior year and the beginning of my senior year where I really started connecting more with my roots as a Salvadorian American. Mm -hmm. I had the chance to take that Central American class 
And then my senior year, which was last fall, I was given the ability to do a mock research paper, something that we have to do in music therapy. Um, You have to basically, once you're done doing the program, you do a six months internship, which Mm -hmm. fulfills the requirement of like 600 hours of field work. And then (laughs) you you do a research project and this Mm -hmm. research project is published in a journal or you have to try to publish it somewhere. And after that, you have to get certified in music therapy. So it's a really, really difficult program. And it's kicking my butt for sure. It's, <laughs> it's so much like emotional drive besides mm-hmm. like motivation and like having the ability to like write all of these papers and do yeah. medical assessments because music therapy might be the question everyone's asking. What is music therapy? Basically, <laughs> I was going to ask you that one. <laughs> basically, music therapy is the practice of using music as the experience or technique to support individuals in reaching a goal. It could be academic. It could be medical. It could be emotional, maybe a physical goal. But supporting them and giving them the chance to do it through music. Music has been proven that it has the ability to encourage people to do things. It has the ability to make people focus on just music. It has the ability to make people not feel pain because they're just focused on the music. So it has so much potential in supporting people. As a music therapist, I am using my ability in playing different instruments like the violin, guitar, piano, bass and all the different instruments to support someone so usually the most common form of music therapy is like in a pediatric hospital so Mm. you have kids who are coming in with all different um crisis and all different needs and often you have a music therapist who goes through the hospital to help the child cope with being in a new facility to express themselves about how they're feeling so you can see music therapy done for pain relief a kid needs to get a shot but he doesn't want to do it so you use music you give the child a drum and you have them play along with you as they're about to get their shot and their brain focuses on the music so they're actually blocking the pain that they would feel or the feeling of being scared and that helps the client or the child have the ability to go through his um, experience in the hospital with a much better uh, outlook on it or for the kids who are there long term who have didn't have the chance to go to school and interact with kids their age or they're stuck in a room by themselves having that music therapist come and help them write a song about their experience or talk about how they're feeling Instead of, you know, always hearing the beeping of the machines or just smelling the smell of medicine and hand sanitizer, you need to give kids stimulation. And through music therapy, you have that ability. And music therapy is one of many different um, immersive therapies that exist 
Um, so most people have heard of like art therapy, which is a similar concept that you're using the form of drawing, painting, all that stuff to help um, kids, clients, patients fight through these experiences that they're having. So it's such a beautiful thing that is very human and very like innate for us because okay. music is a very human thing. It's something that's culturally embedded in all of our lives. So the form of music therapy is something that we've all experienced. It's something that we've all kind of have had an idea of, but it's not something that we've had the ability to have someone support us and steer it. And music therapy can only be done when you have a music therapist to support you because it's the idea of someone creating these steps for you and creating a program or activity that can help you get to your goal. It's not going to cure you, but it's going to be something that can help you immensely because as humans to heal, we need to heal holistically. So not only medically, but physically, emotionally, physiology, like there's so much that goes into feeling okay. If you broke Mm -hmm. your arm, like maybe they've done the surgery and they've supported you in healing your bones, but maybe emotionally you're still feeling fearful of what happened and fearful of it happening again. Mm -hmm. So I think music therapy is this amazing um, resource that we have that Mm -hmm. can help people in so many different aspects, not only medically, but like I said before, you can have a music therapist go to schools and not Mm -hmm. only with children, but you can have a music therapist go to a hospice or a geriatric Mm -hmm. care facility with older folks who Mm -hmm. they may be fearing death and you need to support them in helping them understand that death isn't something that they should fear or helping a family um, get get used to the concept of death and help them through that transition. Music therapy is something that can be used in all times of life and in all different forms. And it's something that is newer in the world of healing. It's something that's been there, but the more being seen as like a professional and like something as close to like having it seen as like medicine is something newer and um for music therapy here in the U.S. we have an association called the American Music Therapy Association that has worked really hard in making it seen as a plausible way of healing and plausible way of supporting people and it's something that only began in the 1960s so we're in like the beginning forms of music therapy and I'm really excited because I'm hearing and seeing a lot of different ways that people are using music therapy to help um, people here and not only that but music therapy is something really big in different countries like in um, Argentina and Brazil they have a really big music therapy scene Um, you know in Africa they have a big music therapy scene in Korea and Japan they have a big music therapy scene so it's something that is present 
And it just needs more attention and more people interested in mm-hmm. learning the form and truly more access to it. Yeah. Something that I'm going to talk about a lot today is the fact that a lot of these um, resources dealing with mental health are very limited for mm-hmm. low-income families and people of color. And I feel that there isn't much different with music therapy. Music therapy is truly similar to that. We have very limited access for people and for families. And it's something that a lot of medical professionals or um, psychology professionals may be weary Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. accepting. So that, that is an added barrier that we have. So talking about how we can truly make this an equitable resource for everyone Mm -hmm. and how we can encourage folks and really encourage people of color to know that this is something that can exist Mm -hmm. and gives you the ability to express your emotions or to express your pain through something that is truly innate to you as a human Mm -hmm. and going back to taking that music of psychology class Mm -hmm. There was a unit talking about how music is connected culturally and how it wanted us as students to kind of look into ourselves and see how music was something that was culturally um, given to us and something that was expressed to us growing up. So for me, being a young Salvi woman who truly never felt connected to her heritage till college Mm -hmm. it was really confusing (laughs) I (laughs) took a world music class and in that class you had to do a research paper too and -hmm. the professor was like I encourage you to do a research paper on music of your culture so I was like yeah I'm totally gonna do that but it's hard (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. hard to find information about um El Salvador and things about like Central America, especially Mm -hmm. because we've had so much of our history erased. Mm -hmm. And in El Salvador, I felt like a lot of the music that I was looking into was music that, you know, was brought to us from Mm -hmm. the countries surrounding us or brought to us from Spain and Africa. And, you know, I wanted to look into something indigenous and Mm -hmm. it was a really... (laughs) really hard search and I was able to find like one specific music that was very like specific to El Salvador but even with that there was so little information on it and so little um resources and just going through that made me feel so discouraged and so sad that like my own heritage like I see all my classmates having the chance to research their heritage and they can find so much more but it's so hard to find things about the Salvador and I'm Mm -hmm. grateful to um, another CSUN alum who has made this amazing um, docu-series about Mm -hmm. music in El Salvador um, and like how it's grown yeah called Somos Artes I recommend all of you to check that out Um, it's so amazing and to see that you know I shouldn't feel discouraged because we're at the forefront of all of this. This is mm-hmm. just something new that people are starting to truly find interest and to do research. Mm-hmm. And that kind of inspired me to, you know, continue 
my education and mm-hmm. fight more for my heritage to be seen. Yeah, so definitely. I'm taking the psychology of music class, and this was happening um, at the beginning of September, going to October. Mm-hmm. We were given this assignment, and you know, we could do a research about anything. So mm-hmm. at first, I was thinking like, oh, maybe I'll do something with kids, or maybe something with infants in the NICU. I'm really interested in that mm-hmm. research. Um, and music therapy in the NICU is really popular. But um, during that time, I was at CSUN living, um, mm-hmm. not on campus, but near campus. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't having the chance to visit my family very often just because mm-hmm. I had to do like field work during the weekend, working in the music therapy clinic on campus. And I had a lot of homework. So mm-hmm. I was really missing my family. And we had a really unfortunate event happen in my family where I had a cousin, um, a male cousin who died of suicide. And, you know, I'm going through this process of like, I'm looking for something to research. And I was kind of thinking like, oh, maybe I can research like Salvadorian mental health. That's something really big for me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm reading all this information and a lot of it is about how our diaspora, how our second, first generation um, children are ridden with so much mental health issues, especially our men. And I was reading all these statistics and all this information about how common it is for our men to die young. And I got this phone call about my cousin and I just felt so, so like frustrated with myself, guilty and upset with the world because here I was like doing this research, wanting to do better for my community, Mm -hmm. looking for ways to do that. Yet I wasn't able to be there for my own family when they were going through this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it kind of sent me through the spiral of feeling just all of this pain, all of this guilt that was passed down for my family, just like weighing me down. And I had to actually like, since it was something so impactful at first, I thought like, you know, I'm gonna get through this. Like I'm really powerful. I've done this before. It's not suicide is a common thing that I've seen in my community. And People dying young was something common. So I didn't think it was going to affect me so much. But I had like two weeks where I stayed home with my family grieving. And it was an experience where like I got to see my dad cry for the first time. I cried with my family. I cried with my cousins. I cried with cousins I hadn't seen in so long. And it was such a traumatic event for my whole family that once I went back to CSUN you know I couldn't go back to where I was I like emotionally was still dealing with the pain and it became such a difficult thing for my body that like you know I like had moments where I would just get sick all of a sudden and Mm -hmm. you know in my head I was like why am I getting sick I'm getting the sleep I'm like taking care of myself, I'm eating, but understanding like, hey, 
you're so emotionally and like mentally exhausted from doing school and dealing with this that your body's just giving up. And I had to like really take a moment to stop and see like, hey, this isn't okay. And I don't think you can continue with this amount of work that you're getting and like being able to just live. Because I had gotten to a point like, I was back at school for a week and I was just filled with so much anxiety because I was thinking like, Hey, like here I am in Northridge away from my family. Like I should be with them. Like there's so little time that I have with them and here I am wasting it. And I started like just thinking back and the way I was living my life and thinking like, Hey, like, am I doing the right thing? Like, I know I'm close to my family, but I can't even see them. Like I feel so much pain to be away from them like not only that but like men are really uncommon in my family like they're mostly women so Mm -hmm. usually in my family there's always one boy in like the siblings so Mm -hmm. my cousin who passed away was the single boy and I have a younger brother and I was going through all of this like like fear of like oh my god like my brother like how is he dealing with this like he needs that support like how are we going to give this support to him like I'm over here in Northridge like I'm advocating for mental health support yet I don't feel like I'm doing enough for my own family so I'm going through the school semester and we were given this project and I had communicated with all my professors like hey I'm dealing with something like I really don't know how to cope with this. And not only that, we had just gone through like the big chunk of COVID. And that was oh, hard on me. Oh, this was during COVID? So that was like right after COVID. Because like COVID, we were online oh. from March 2020 till last spring semester. And then last fall semester, we had like half of the classes came back in person. And for the Mm -hmm. music department, like, we were able to bring all of our classes back, but we were still dealing with COVID. And, like, I don't know if you know this, but COVID was hard in LA for Los Latinos. Yeah. In Pico, we were the highest death rate for a while. And Pico Union is a small community of all immigrants. And... I witnessed with my own eyes, like going back home, like just because there's a pandemic, it doesn't mean you can stop working. My parents Mm -hmm. had to keep on working throughout the whole thing. My friends' parents were working. My neighbors were working. And because of that, we lost so many lives because Mm -hmm. no matter what's happening, you got to provide for your family and you have to support the family one way or another. Mm -hmm. So I like had just gone through like the big part of COVID and you know, that took a punch at my mental health. So mm-hmm. learning about my cousin dying and coping with that just became such a hard thing for me. And I had to like basically give myself space and I took like fails for, <laughs> for mm-hmm. most of my classes. And it was such a hard thing because in my head I was like, I should be inspired to like push more. Like my cousin wasn't able to do this. Like I should be doing even more. This should inspire me to work even harder. Mm -hmm. But 
here I was like unable to like function and take care of myself. I had days where I'd just cry all day and it was hard for me to like even get up to eat. It was hard for me to like wake up in the morning. I just wanted to like sleep all day because I felt like there was no point. Like, why was I here? What, why am I doing this? If I'm not with my family, like I feel guilty. And through this research project, which Mm -hmm. I was given an extension of Mm -hmm. completing it during winter break. And I'm really grateful for my professors for um, taking the time, you know, like not all of my professors were as kind as like the music therapy professors who really like took the time and were really invested with me. And they told me like, we want you to get this career but we know like right now isn't the time. And they even suggested like, Hey, maybe take a year off of school. Like you need time to heal. And, you know, in my brain, I'm thinking I have three other siblings. I have my parents who are getting older. It's getting hard for them to work. Like, I don't want to push this any longer. I want to be able to do this um, in the time that I was given. So, I went back to that research paper and I decided like, okay, you know what? I'm not only going to make this about Central America because at first I had it set as like focusing on just Central America because, you know, there's Mm -hmm. not that much research about specifically Central America or Mm -hmm. El Salvador. Yeah. So I decided like, you know, like I'm going to go with it. I'm going to do the Salvadoran diaspora. And it being a mock research basically meant that we were going to use research and information that already existed to kind of compile a research question that would be beneficial for the field of music therapy Mm -hmm. and use that research to kind of encourage and kind of show the professionals like, hey, this is something you need to research. And these are things that we could do to research it Mm -hmm. so you know I didn't have the chance to go out in the field and conduct my own research but I was able to go through research that already existed and like I mentioned before Mm -hmm. um, a lot of things about Latinos are very Mexican centric Mm -hmm. so I was looking through all this research trying to figure out how I can make this more directed towards Central America and Salvadorians. Mm -hmm. And something that helped me was understanding that our experiences are very different because in Central America, a lot of us dealt with dictators and wars. Mm -hmm. So I chose to look at data from people dealing with war trauma and PTSD. And Mm -hmm. that's how I was able to kind of find the focus I was able to to create programs and create activities that could be used with the Central American or Salvadorian um, community so Mm -hmm. not only that but like in my mind I'm thinking okay that's one of the intersectionalities that we're dealing Mm -hmm. with we have so many other things happening in El Salvador Mm -hmm. and as I was saying before, music therapy is kind of new and there's always new things popping up. And I'm really grateful that we actually have 
two books. There's only two books about culture in like the music therapy profession. And one of them, it's called The Cultural Intersections in Music Therapy, Music, Health, and Person. And this book was compiled by a group of music therapists who felt like their cultures weren't being acknowledged when Mm -hmm. folks of those communities were being treated. So they created this basically guidebook. I was going to say, aka us. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They created this guidebook of basically looking at different cultures that Mm -hmm. are here in the U.S. and how these backgrounds and experiences have created intersectionalities that need specific um, treatment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I got this book, you know, only thinking, ah, they're just going to talk about, like, Latinos as a whole. Mm Because, you know, the term Latinos or Hispanic is something that was made in the U.S., to you know group us together for the census and that yeah. has actually harmed us because now we're all being pushed into one group mm-hmm. and that yep. one group you're not going to be able to like truly understand all of the cultures like mm-hmm. hispanic that term i hate using it i like it's not something i use it's not something yeah. i like like because it's not including everyone in latin america so yeah things like that I was really scared of like oh how are we going to be viewed in this research but mm-hmm. it's an amazing book and there was actually sections by countries oh so wow there was a whole way- chapter there was a whole chapter find- on Latin America and then it went Mexico Central America El Salvador Honduras Belize and it talked about each country and you know I was Wow! So surprised because I was like, "Oh shit!" Like, sorry, I cursed. No, it's like, no, it's okay, I was just so surprised because I was like, "You're probably like gold." <laughs> yeah, I was like, "I'm not used to being like seen in mm-hmm. educational fields and to have my culture seen." And you know, it might have been only like four pages, but those four pages had so much information and so much research backed and not only that but they provide other resources that they recommend Mm. and seeing my like mentors seeing that the people in my field are thinking about this pushed me even more to like just go full throttle on this research paper Mm -hmm. and I decided with the information from um treating PTSD and war trauma I was going to make this research paper for focused on physiological benefits music therapy could have on Mm -hmm. people from the Salvadorian diaspora. And Mm -hmm. I looked at the information dealing with sleep troubles. So people who have PTSD or war trauma, Mm -hmm. something very big and common is um, struggling with sleep and having an inability to get enough sleep or inability to get any good sleep you know I was coming at this from the perspective that you know we're not going to be able to create something so specific Mm -hmm. that can be given to like let's say people in people union because we don't have the funds for that Mm -hmm. so what's something that is really broad that we can start off with that could be beneficial so my research paper was looking at how we could help people with war trauma um, get better sleep 
and using music therapy as a passive form, um, being able to create music or give people music that they could listen to that could calm them down and help them get better sleep. So, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't something so specific to El Salvador, but it was something that is common. And I don't yeah. know about you, but like my parents, <laughs> they struggle with sleep. And it's so interesting because my parents are like, dang, like my mom can fall asleep mm-hmm. like that, but also she wakes up to anything. Oh. And <laughs> she jokes around like being like, oh, you know, like when I was smaller, you know, we had to like get used to like the sounds of guns and bombs. And, you know, to her, she's joking around, but in reality, like, these are things that carry on. Mm-hmm. And, like, the amount of times my mom wakes up from nightmares, the amount of times that my dad just can't fall asleep, these are mm-hmm. part of their yeah. trauma. So yeah. I did my research paper on that, and I'll give you mm-hmm. a link to my research paper and my poster yeah. board. Um, so you can yeah, get definitely. an idea. But yeah, definitely. I took that information from this research conducted in Denmark with immigrants who were coming from different parts of like the Middle East and Asia. And I put it together with information about mental health Mm -hmm. in the Central American community. And the biggest things that I saw were the fact that we're filled with war trauma, but also we have trauma that is mixed in with our um, transborder family structure. A lot of um, Latinos are separated from their families mm-hmm. and don't have the ability to have that nu- nuclear family that yeah. is common in the U.S. And something that happened in El Salvador is that during the war, a lot of our men died. So a lot of people lost their fathers, their grandpas, their uncles and all that and because of that the men who were still there a lot of them decided to start immigrating to the U.S. to find work to provide for their family so you have these women and these children who are by themselves who haven't experienced their life with their dad or they lost their dad in war then you have other families where not only do they have that but they have their kids going to the different countries too. So there's this big, big um, intersectionality happening in El Salvador where you have families that are separated, but, you know, they're focused on giving money to their family in El Salvador or they're focused in raising money so their family can come to El Salvador. So this is a big pressure and this is something that creates a lot of stress, anxiety, and depression. And it's not something that you see as much in other countries. Um, Like, you know, it's very common in like Latin America, but it's something really big in Central America. And from the research that I read, it said that it was the biggest in El Salvador. And that even El Salvador's economy runs on the money that people give to their family. That's like the biggest way that money is um, used in El Salvador. So we're dealing with that. Y también, there's the pressure of religion. So, you know, we had <laughs> that big fiasco. All of that happened with the 
um, Spain coming and pushing down their religion. So in El Salvador, you have Catholicism, Christianity, and then you have a little bit of indigenous religion, indigenous spirituality that's still there. And that's something that created a big, big um, disconnection in our countries and a form of judgment and like classism. So you have those three things. And también, on top of all of that, you have machismo and just dealing with the roles of sexism. Y también you have colorism. So there's so much going into play that causes different forms of stress and anxiety that builds up. And I was looking at this in the way of how music therapy could help. And there's a couple of research papers that exist talking about how we can make music therapy more client-orientated and culturally appropriate. And the few that I found that were about Latinos, you know, they would talk about the importance of knowing culturally preferred music or having the ability to speak the language. And a lot of the examples would be like, you know, you should be more considerate of using music like reggaeton in supporting a client. Maybe they want to express how they're feeling their anger through reggaeton. You can't judge it just because, you know, it has cursing or it's something associated with negative um, connotations, things like that. But again, it was all Mexican-centric. And that's something that really made me think, like, we need to start doing more research that's very, like, country-centric. You need to make yeah. it focused on the specific country and you can't yeah. just make it base a big general. base general thing. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, like, I want to continue doing. And this mock research is just something that is inspiring me to do more and pushing me to find more research. And like I said before, there's people who are continuing this research in music therapy and the folks who wrote the section on El Salvador and the people who wrote the other sections in different countries. This is something that is becoming and something that we need to continue looking out for and the ability to find programs that would be willing to give music therapy in our community is something that I really hope I can emphasize through this research paper and to all the people listening right now telling y'all that there's there is the chance that music therapy could be something that could help you and your family and it's something that we should all be able to have the chance to experience and it's something I want to be able to bring to my community so, you know, music therapy in LA, we have it at like CHLA Hospital. It's at UCLA Mattel Hospital. And we have a lot of different music therapists around LA who have their own private practice. And, you know, at this point, it's not something that like our insurance will provide. But, you know, if you are... Um, if you have a family member who has a disability, music therapy is covered by their insurance and they can find programs 
and there's a lot of different resources that you know are coming and there's going to be a lot more that are going to come in the future and I just want y'all to keep in mind that music therapy may be something that you're interested in to receive help or you might be interested in just learning about it more and maybe if you want to practice music therapy we have a great program at Cal State Northridge and it's something that we need to encourage our youth that you can follow a passion in performing arts and still do something good with it don't feel scared that you know it's not going to be a reliable job you know your parents want you to be doctors or like dentists or like eye doctors but know that there's so many things out there that you can do while pursuing something you love and if you love music if you love psychology if you love helping people I encourage you to look into music therapy and see how you can embed your culture into your practice and continue helping our people and people like us who are struggling to see their identity and just support them in not only helping them with mental health, but also helping them understand their own culture. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that when you were like sharing about this project, um, I, I don't think I share how I kind of like found out about Sarai, but <laughs> um, so I am the like socially a uh, person of like a nonprofit called Amigo about immigration services. And there's uh, this lady who um, volunteers there for, you know, I think it's citizen classes. And I was talking to her about some, my pot, like this podcast. And she's like, you have to meet her about like, cause I think um, they were sharing about music therapy. And I was like, what is that? Like those, like, you know, as you have shared is pretty new. And it's something that I wasn't aware. I thought it was like, wait, they just play music. They're like, you know, I have been in a therapy before and I have shared already how like my bad experience was going to therapy after the divorce of my parents. So I was like, okay, what like, did they put you in this room? Did they put music on you? Did they play instrument? Like it was a whole question. So that's how I got in touch with Sarai. And um, thank you for sharing about the music therapy. I think it is like now I understand more how it is um, and how needed it is um, also about the about your project which I know that when you were sharing it about I was like um, I am 100% she couldn't find a lot of like papers on Central Americans because we are just not there you know like we have talked here so many times how hard it is for us to get um academia paper research paper research data on our central americans um we have a little bit when it comes to central america back home um but as you said most of it are like data from immigration data of like numbers how many person you know were part of the gen like you know was killed and so and so amount and you know, not a lot of, uh, and specifically, as you mentioned, mental health, because in yeah, our community, it's all, yeah. It's all and research on our past, not about how we can heal. Exactly, exactly. And in their community, mental health is not talked about. I had here, like, before, like, a series of mental health because of the reasons, because it's just, like, 
we it's hard to talk to your parents about mental health and as you said it's not just um you had to go and see research of other countries to kind of like you know like kind of like not compare it but base your research you know on the findings of uh PTSD war you know trauma and all that um because you know it from Salvadorian you know Central American they experience a lot of war they experience a lot of dictatorship a lot of uh, land displacement due to that and mm-hmm. on top like we already shared like immigration that's another part of trauma and like all this all this aspect you talked about colorism machismo religion like all this thing is so like in our culture in our yeah. you know with us that um i'm so glad to know that someone you know went on the route because you know studying music therapy and like about your project about the physiologic benefit of music therapy and the salvadoran diaspora you know because you're um sorry because it's something that is not talked about and as you said music therapy is i would say a pretty new term because no <laughs> you know as a, i wasn't aware and i'm glad that this topic is having the opportunity to be within the context of sorry uh within the context of cultural you know aspects you know as you said you know argentina brazil el salvador and we hope that for future to have more right because mm-hmm. eventually like as I, when you were sharing about music therapy i felt like it started very eurocentric yeah. white center uh-huh. right and as you said like we cannot judge on music for example i am a huge reggaetonera right and this specific <laughs> yeah. there's a specific music that i like to play a specific when i feel very specific and uh-huh. i can just share i don't know like how does that work but when i need motivation when i need um like the strength that i feel like the strength of my culture is talking to me when i need to like feel like okay i need like my cultural i need my ancestors uh-huh. to talk to me the person i play is rebecca lane and she is a yeah. rapper it's yeah. like i just need her to talk to me like uh-huh. there is this song that is just so like in me that i have always said like if i ever get to tell my my song I'm, it's going to be that song uh-huh. and it's like you know it's true because I don't if someone I go to tell them what I need I it's not that I need inspiration I need kind of like healing I need someone else to like understand how I'm feeling and to guide me in that sense mm-hmm. yeah no quiero que me I am so sorry with that but like I just don't right I want yeah. something else right yeah. um <laughs> so it's it's just um you know kind of like in the sense that what um Uh, her music but i have a question before we kind of close everything up yeah. do you focus on a specific song on this research do you were able to find the song other than the one that you mentioned or do you so for the research um so again this was ptsd war mm-hmm. trauma from folks coming from the middle east so what they did specifically was they interviewed all the people they had and again like coming from immigrants specifically it was um throughout the whole research emphasized that they were practicing protection for them um making sure that their rights were kept and that anything that they shared wouldn't be um 
anything that wasn't pertaining to the project that was shared wouldn't be shared with like the government or anything like that because there's that extra fear of like oh if I speak up like am I going to be sent back and that's something that is common in the Central American community you know we're not doing the census because we're scared like they're gonna take us back or you know we're scared to go to the doctor or we're scared to like call the police because of that stuff so they did interviews and they asked them specifically what's your favorite type of music what is something that you like listening to something that makes you feel calm and a lot of the music that was recommended were very culture specific and you know as you were saying like Music therapy is very Eurocentric because, you know, we're taught in school, like, these are the 100 songs that are good to be played in, like, an old folks home, you know? These are the classic songs that you should play, or these are the popular songs that um, you should play with kids or teenagers. And going through my program, there were times where I felt like, it was more difficult for me to connect with these things because my program is very like, there's a few people of color, but when we're there, we're very loud and we're very present and I'm grateful for that. But, you know, I remember there was a time where um, I was asked like, hey, you have to learn 20 hymns to um, just, you know, something that you should have in your pocket if you're ever going to work in like a geriatric setting and I am not religious growing up I did go to church and I knew hymns in Spanish but this was new for me like I'm not Catholic I don't practice religion um I've never heard of these hymns like this is very hard for me yet my classmates who were white were able to get through this easier because it was something that they grew up with or it was something that they were like knowledgeable about. Yeah. So, Sorry to interrupt you. What was the song? Hymns, like you know, in church in Catholic church, they have um, hymns. Like um, you know how they uh, you have the mm-hmm. service and each day. There's a specific um, oh, verse that you supposed- yeah. Como el salmón. Yeah. Ah, okay, okay. I was about to say, like, excuse me. Um, okay, continue. I was yeah. just so confused. I was like, I don't want you to keep, like, explaining because I'm no, here no, confused. No. <laughs> no, but honestly, it was something hard for me to understand because, like, I grew up Christian, so mm-hmm. we didn't have that. But, like, I remember the few that my mom would sing because she grew up Catholic. I only knew them mm-hmm. in Spanish. And then mm-hmm. I was coming into this class and my professor was like yeah like these are things you should know and he would randomly start singing one and everyone would sing along because they all knew except me and like the one other non-white kid so things like that like are barriers that we need to go over and Mm -hmm. something that they did in this research that they Mm -hmm. decided like we're going to focus on music that they want um so Mm -hmm. they focus on client preferred music and it was different for each person they curated songs that would work for them and they found specifically that instrumental music so music without singing was Mm. really calming because music activates your brain and if Mm -hmm. there are words behind those words there's meaning and that meaning is going to be accumulating thoughts and ideas in your brain 
And I love that you brought up like your favorite song because something that is so important in music therapy, music therapy only works when you have the music therapist, the client and the music. Because the music is its own entity that helps the client describes how they're feeling or helps them express because you know they don't have that language barrier where maybe they don't know how to express how they're feeling and they don't have that fear pushing them because once you're expressing yourself in music everything just falls down there's a part in your brain in your frontal lobe that is basically keeping things tied down because of fear and mm-hmm. music allows that to basically let go and allows you to truly express yourself. So, you know, sometimes people may say like, hey, like when you're singing, you seem so emotional because mm-hmm. our body is able to release and we don't have that mm-hmm. language barrier and we don't have that fear stopping us. So in this research project, they decided like, hey, we're going to use instrumental music specific to their culture and this music is going to have things that connect to who they are as a person so I saw that and I said okay we're gonna if we're gonna make this for people of the Salvadorian diaspora then we got to look at music that people from this culture grow up with so you know it's not only Spanish music but there's the English music that we grew up with listening here you know, for me, growing up in L.A., I got used to listening to, like, gangster um, rap, you know, like, Tupac and all that. So that's something that, like, comforts me, yet, you know, the person next to me may think, like, oh, this is, it's violent. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. not calming music. But for me, it's calming because that's what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the Spanish music, you know, like. Like cumbias. We grew up listening mm-hmm. to like cumbias and bachatas and certain music that our parents mm-hmm. grew up listening to. And you know, when I'm feeling sad or when I'm feeling homesick, I listen to the music my parents would listen to growing up or the music that we hear at parties. Mm-hmm. And it was things like that where it was kind of, kind of basically bringing the attention of, hey, it's important to talk to your clients and understand what is going to be calming for them because what may be calming to someone who comes from a Eurocentric culture may not be mm-hmm. calming for us and yeah. may have bad in like bad connotations to it. Mm-hmm. So again, like I didn't find specific music, but I cited in my discussion at the end of the paper that we need to make an emphasis in learning about this music and taking the time to learn the language taking the time Mm -hmm. to learn about the artists and see why this music is important like right now like bad bunny is such a good example Mm -hmm. for music that is holding so much power in our youth because Mm -hmm. although like yes it's catchy but also there's meaning there's meaning behind it and it's it's like it's heavy for example andrea like uh-huh, uh-huh. going, Andrea. Like the first time I heard it, I'm sorry, I'm huge. I'm here, like yeah, the, I'm a huge Back Bunny fan. So if uh-huh. you follow me in my first one, I am full Back Bunny thing. Uh, Andrea, like that song hit me, and then Ojitos Lindos. Uh huh. 
as someone yeah. who's in love with my boyfriend, like that thing is like yeah. caught me bawling the first time, yeah. you know, and like Andrea is something so real, like for women that it's just like, well, this is not only reggaeton. Yo le llamo reggaeton con propósito. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, reggaeton yeah. activismo because it's true. Like, I'm like, it, you know, sorry, I'm just going in the no, whole there's thing. <laughs> and it's so important. If you want to help our communities, if you want to serve our communities, you need to know about that music. Mm-hmm. You need to understand. And like, you love Bad Bunny. So if you met with a music therapist and let's say you were dealing with understanding your family trauma, they could use the music. You can talk about the lyrics in Andrea mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. and talk about mm-hmm. how those lyrics make you feel. And then you can add your own verse to the song. They can help you rewrite the song mm-hmm. and add something more personal. And this is something you can share with your family to express like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And it could give them a mm-hmm. clear idea of like, okay, this is how my daughter's feeling. Like, this is something we haven't acknowledged. And, you know, Music is such a common thing in our cultures that mm-hmm. in my brain, I want to help break the mental health stigma by using music as a vessel to talk about mental health. You know, our parents might not know it, but like when you're listening to like bad chat, that's like a lot of them are sad. A lot of them talk yeah. about emotions like, OK, there's a reason why you like this song. Like, let's talk about that. Like, why is the song important to you? Like, how can we mm-hmm. embed the lessons they're learning in the song into your own life how does it relate to you or how does it relate to how you can do better you know Mm -hmm. we're constantly working to better ourselves and constantly working to learn more about ourselves so there's so many ways that you can use music therapy and I'll share some really interesting research about like music therapy in Latino communities, but there's so many different ways you can use it. And yeah. it's something that we need to be aware of and it's something that we need to think about because it's not going to be easy to break the mental health stigma, but if we can do it through a way that our family is already used to, like music mm-hmm. or dance or art, then that can make it easier for the future generations to break mm-hmm that mental health stigma definitely and you know thank you Sarai for sharing you know your project coming here to talk about like music therapy something that something that is not you know very of course I would say like not very knowledgeable for our our community and for people Mm -hmm. out there um and then I know you said you were gonna share um all the resources I will put everything on the you know description and uh, our episode now that way people can have access to it yeah. um but if anything else where they can find you if you want to share your social media or like any other yeah. stuff that you would like to share i would uh, i would like to give you a space right now <laughs> yeah yeah i'd love to um so i'm not big on social media but i do have instagram <laughs> so my instagram is spring underscore symphonia mm-hmm. and we'll put it down in the description Um, And I also just recommend following anything relating to music therapy. There's actually a Latino network of music therapists that is located in the U.S. and in Latin America. And this is something if you're interested in music therapy, they specifically just talk about music therapy for Latinos and también ways for us 
to get together and work together because you know there's very few of us but we can make such a loud impact if we work together um and again I highly recommend um, looking into the American Music Therapy Association. Um, Their website is musictherapy.org. And looking into the Cal State Northridge Music Therapy Program, there's only two of them in California. Um, Music therapy is more popular in the East Coast. Um, it's, It's been there longer, but... If you're interested, you can also just reach out to me. My email is saraibenitas516 at gmail.com. Or you can go to Instagram and follow the Music Therapy Association program at CSUN. And that Instagram is N-T-A-N. So Mm -hmm. Music Therapy Association of Northridge. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Um, if you can send me that the link, yeah. and I can put them in the below. That way, it's more yeah. accessible. But thank you so much, Sarai. It was a pleasure having you here. Thank you for sharing about your project. Um, I know it's not out for the public. That's why we don't know saying where they can find it. Uh, but thank you so much. I hope this is you know the beginning for a little bit more research in you know the community. Thank you for making that little route to start and yeah yeah, thank you it was a um honestly an honor to have you here (laughs) thank you so much thank you Before I say hasta luego or onto our next episode, if you like our content and would like to support my work, you can join our patron or donate through our website. Also, don't forget that year-round we're accepting donation for our Voices Scholarship. All the information is always in the description box. And also, don't forget to come back for our next episode.